Well, good morning. It's a joy to be in a group of men who take reading the scriptures seriously, and I'm sure at some point you've read through Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, where we read, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, for he obtained the witness that before being taken up, he was pleasing to God. I don't know if you've ever had an occasion to reflect on those words, but I think every one of us here would like to have that said of us, that you and I are men who live lives that are pleasing to God. And this morning's prayer provides a template for us to accomplish that. In my own thinking, it never dawned on me that living a life that is pleasing to God is something that I could actually ask God for and that he would see fit to answer in my life. So hopefully this morning's prayer in Colossians chapter 1 will be a challenge to all of us to pattern our prayer after that which the Apostle Paul prays. And we're, the, the main idea is, is that when our life is patterned after his word, we can be assured that our lives are going to be pleasing to him. The beauty of this prayer, though, is that he enumerates four different ways in which our lives can be a delight to our Lord and Savior. So let's dive in. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul writes, For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Notice that what he has said is linked to something in the immediate context. So let's go back to verse 3 and see what it is that prompted Paul to pray. He writes, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has now been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. So Paul hears that this church is growing in faith, in love, and in hope. And his immediate response is to pray. So we learn immediately that when we get good news about individuals who are growing in their faith, that furthering their spiritual maturity is linked inextricably to prayer. So that in response to growth, he prays for them. And notice twice he refers to the basis of that growth at the end of verse 5 in the word of truth, and then at the end of verse 6, he refers again to the truth. Now, part of what's driving Paul's prayer is that he was aware of the fact that there were false teachers who were in danger of influencing the Colossian church. False teachers who use biblical vocabulary like wisdom and knowledge, but infuse it with meanings that are far, foreign to the text. And so these false teachers were propagating the idea that there was knowledge beyond Scripture, outside of Scripture, knowledge gained through mystical experience, through astrology and other 
extra biblical sources that would ultimately be essential to salvation. So Paul's prayer here is driven by two primary concerns. Number one, that the good work that is accomplishing in their lives would continue and flourish. The other is the danger of living in a world where there are false sources of knowledge and wisdom and insight. That God's people not be led astray and put their confidence in anything other than God and in his word. So notice he continues, we're back in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul being the master intercessor as well as the master teacher nails all three terms that the false teachers were using, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And he's basically saying, don't stop your commitment to the truth. You have everything you need for growth in relationship to God and in godliness in the revelation that I communicated to you, that revelation that is truth. So in context, he's going to reinforce the fact that we understand God's will through his word. We don't need mystical experience. We don't need astrology. We don't need extra biblical sources to learn how to fuel our relationship with the Lord. Now, the first word he uses is truth. We saw that in the context. That basically means that God's word reliably and accurately communicates a clear perspective on reality. So that if we want to know that which is reliable, that which we can base our lives upon, the Word of God provides that data and that information. So that the knowledge here describes the fact that we grasp the teaching of His Word. We accurately understand it. And all of us who have studied the scriptures, whether devotionally or in preparing for a Sunday school class or something like that, know the challenge that comes with making sure we have an accurate grasp of what the Word of God is teaching. But it is through that means that we discover the will of God. It reliably reveals that which pleases God. Remember, that's going to be the idea that drives this particular prayer. So that to the degree that we grasp the scriptures, we have a sharper and clearer understanding of what God requires of us, what he wants us to do with our lives. So that we pray to learn the truth, to accurately grasp it, and then the words wisdom and understanding means how it applies to life. We don't just grasp content but by the grace and power of God, we grasp how that truth relates to life, how it connects with the choices that we're making. So that as we talked about in the last prayer that I was privileged to teach, Philippians chapter 1, we're given the ability to discern between options and consistently remove the evil options and even choose between good, better, and best, so that we consistently make the excellent choice. So that 
Notice that Paul adds the word spiritual wisdom and understanding because this is an internal work of the Holy Spirit in connection to the Word of God that enables the believer to accurately grasp and apply the text. So right out of the chute, Paul is praying that you and I will develop a deep-seated commitment to the sufficiency of Scripture as the basis upon which we discern the will of God, as well as how to live life skillfully. Now, any comments or questions on that? Any observations? Okay, notice he says that we might be filled with that knowledge. The word carries the idea of being fully equipped for the challenges that are facing us. It's used of a uh, ship that is fully outfitted for a voyage. And the idea being that when we are filled with the word of God, we are totally equipped with every choice, every decision, every challenge that we are going to face on a daily basis. It pervades our thoughts. It pervades our ideas. It controls our purpose. Okay? Now, out of that... Notice that Paul reminds us of something that I think all of us are probably in the practice of doing. How many of you in the context of studying the Word of God begin by asking God to aid you in understanding it and applying it? Uh, You don't need to raise your hands, but I'm sure that many of you, if not all of you, are in the custom of doing that. That's a good biblical practice that's sanctioned in this passage, that in conjunction with the Word of God, Christ will guide us into all truth through His Holy Spirit. But notice, just because we understand it and even know how it applies, for example, I can say, I need to love Christ, uh, love my wife Rebecca as Christ loves the church. I can exegete it, I can study the words, I can grasp it, I can even look into insights as to how to apply it. But that doesn't mean I do the one additional step and actually put into practice what I know I need to do. So that's where Paul in his prayer is going to move beyond not just knowing the theory, but actually living it out. Notice he says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. So that the, the word walk basically means your manner of life, your lifestyle, the way in which you conduct yourself, the choices you make. The idea of walking worthy means basically we live up to the standard of God's word. As this picture seeks to indicate, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We live in harmony with Christ's word. And by so doing, we seek to bring him delight. Our manner of living matches Christ's manners of manner of living. So that... His word becomes a living reality in our lives. The goal then is that we please him in all respects. Notice that even the motivation for a mature believer in Christ shifts. Children understand obeying rules. Um, uh, 
whether they do it or not is another question, but that a childlike understanding means do this, don't do this, is conformity to authority. Notice that this pushes it to a whole new level because now while we do what Christ has asked us to do, we do it out of love and a desire to bring him a sense of delight. So notice here in the context of the prayer, we're actually asking for that shift to occur where God's word is no longer an external authority over us dictating our lives, even though it is that. It is prescribing our behavior, but it actually be written on the tablets of our heart where we, dis, where we derive a sense of satisfaction in doing it because of our devotion to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, any comments, observations, things you'd like to share at this point? Yeah. One thing that popped in my head while you're talking was uh, in reference from a past sermon I heard was from Psalms 119, you know, uh, where it says, teach me, O Lord, the ways of thy statutes, and it goes on about giving understanding uh, to observe the law. Excellent. I wonder if, if Paul, knowing the scriptures of old, would have been able to pull that into the current New Testament. No doubt. Um, could you read that verse a little louder for everyone? I'm not sure they can hear you without a mic. What was first? Uh, it is 119.33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statute, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe thy law and keep it in all my heart. And see, that's one of the beauties. Not only was Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but I think he also was thoroughly acquainted with the scriptures. And as you look at his prayer, you could support practically everything he's praying for from other scriptures. That's what it means to have the kind of knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and understanding that Paul is praying for where even his prayers are so informed by the word of God that you could probably find numerous supporting passages for everything that Paul is bringing before the throne of grace. And that's the goal for you and I as men of God, like Enoch of old, who live lives that please God, where his word becomes a living reality that so saturates our thinking that whether it's our conversations, our choices, um, that they are consistently devoted to the Lord. Any other comments, questions? Yes, Kyle. Well, just the, uh, yeah, this is so that we can prove we belong want to to uh, please him and, and you just said devotion well you know very easy for us to serve whether it's our moms and dads uh, or even our kids but serve them out of duty instead of devotion exactly the lord's wanting us to get to devotion that's obviously a heart excellent Excellent. And, you know, it's not a matter of age. Sadly, I know a lot of men our age who are still doing the right things because it's demanded of them. And they've never grown to the point where, and it is demanded, but when devotion kicks in, there's a deeper and more satisfying uh, level 
of drive that causes us to do that which we do. Now, structurally, there are four present participles that follow, all of which modify how we please him. So notice that with regard to this prayer, Paul's going to give us four keys as to the kinds of things that we can do in response to prayer, that is through God's enablement, and in response to the word of God. Notice, first of all, he says, bearing fruit in every good work. So if we want to please God, the first uh, way in which we can do that is by bearing fruit. Now, the language here is fascinating because bearing fruit is the effect of our nature. As born again, as regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we are new creatures, we have new life in Christ. And therefore, as connected to the vine, we should be capable of pro pro uh, producing fruit. Uh, a number of summers ago, I decided I wanted to grow some tomatoes. Obviously, if you want to grow tomatoes, you buy a tomato plant or multiple plants. Uh, if I buy any other kind of plant, despite my best efforts, it's not going to grow tomatoes. And that's, that's fundamental to the process. So on the one hand, fruit bearing is only possible for those who have believed that Jesus Christ, God's son, died in their place for their sins and rose again. The word work, though, means that effort is necessary. That even though we are changed persons, to be fruitful requires cultivation, requires discipline. I also learned that with regard to tomatoes. Um, I labored all summer and succeeded in growing one tomato the size of a ping pong ball, okay? So just because you have a plant doesn't mean you're going to grow anything worthwhile. And therefore, part of being fruitful means incorporating those things into our lives that are going to generate that fruit. Reliance on the Holy Spirit, reliance on prompt prayer, reading the Word of God, fellowshipping with other believers. You know the regimen, again, moving beyond just cognitive awareness of the importance of these things to actually incorporating them into our daily choices and lifestyle. Any comments or observations you have on good fruit? Okay, just to flesh this out a little more, you know, I wanted to have a PowerPoint slide that said, here are examples of good works in scripture. And you know, every article I looked up, whether it was in Bible encyclopedia or online, got into the discussion of being saved by faith versus saved by works, okay? And this discussion is not saying that we are saved by works, okay? Works flow from saving faith like fruit flows from uh, a plant. But think with me for a moment. Who can think of some examples of what God is looking for here that are thoroughly grounded in Scripture? What's an example of a good work? Persistent prayer, knocking, banging. Okay, we talked about that earlier. Great. Persistent prayer. What's another example of a good work? Just to flesh out and sort of prime the applicational side of this. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Fruit of the Spirit. 
Okay, there's nine things that we can intentionally meditate on, reflect on, and by God's grace, incorporate into our lives. What else is an example of a good work? Generosity. Generosity, particularly to what group? There's lots of passages that talk about this. Being generous to widows, orphans, poor, especially among God's uh, people. That's an example of a good work. Any other examples you can think of? Praise and worship. Praise and worship. What was another one? I would say, uh, as a father, in it for the long haul, uh, because you got to keep working with your children all through their lives to bring them to the, to, to the place that they need to be. Okay. Being committed to the long haul. John. Sharing the good news, sharing your faith with people's faith, accept the faith, Excellent. You know, uh, I'm sure the Lord is smiling over our discussion, but when you consider how many times you repeated the Great Commission, the minute you raised your hand and said that one, I'm sure he's grinning from ear to ear because he asked us multiple times to share our faith with the lost. Now, we can do that through prayer, we can do it through giving, but I think it also includes, as the Lord opens doors of opportunity, we share the, the reason for the hope that is within us with those who are lost. Um, this makes me think of working your salvation because uh, even though the work, you know, it's a manifestation of, of what's in your heart that comes out from, your, you know, from what you do each and every day, and uh, even though it's, it's really icing on the cake versus what you're really trying to, you know, because uh, your pursuit is to the Lord and, and these other things are, are just uh, artifacts of, uh, of uh, what, you're, you know, what you're manifesting in your life. Excellent, excellent. So again, the, the, the motivation being crucial. Don't ever shift to think that somehow you are meriting God's favor or earning your salvation. No, this all flows out of a heart of gratitude and devotion to God. Yeah. Uh, resisting great temptation um, and so that and, and actually that becomes a testimony to Christ. Excellent. Resisting temptation. And again, imagine the Lord sitting there watching our daily choices and you've got the opportunity to go to a pornographic website or some other questionable source and you don't do it. He sees the internal struggle and you go an entirely different direction. That pleases our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's the kind of activity that our Lord is looking for. Pray that our Lord might be pleased by our productivity, both avoiding that which is evil and consciously doing that which is good. Increasing um, in the knowledge of God. So that this has the idea of growing fellowship. Christ is pleased when you and I actually want to become more like him. So out of love for him, it's not just the rules themselves. It's wanting to become like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we go through life to choose what he would choose if he were living today's activities himself.
I remember years ago, uh, I, I was part of a church where there was uh, a mother whose husband was in prison. Eric, her son, was a fifth grader, and at a church picnic, it became pretty obvious that Eric didn't know how to play sports very well. We were, we were having a football game. He didn't know how to grab it. He didn't know how to throw it. So another man at the church named Jerry and I decided to adopt Eric, and we went to his mother, and both of us did it to keep the relationship above reproach, but we said, can we adopt your boy, and once a week just come by and play with him and maybe have a Bible study together? And she grinned from ear to ear and said, absolutely. And that started a wonderful time of playing with Eric, and, and Jerry had been a high school quarterback. So he showed him how to hold a football, and he found an old tire and set it up. Next thing you knew, he had him throwing the football through the tire. Missed it entirely. Next time, he got closer. Before long, he was putting it right through the center of that tire at about five yards. So he said, let's back it up. Within four weeks, he had him throwing it through the tire at 30 and 35 yards on the roll, on the move. And while it was neat to watch him grow in football, I also saw him grow in relationship. Over that four-week period, he found out what Jerry's number was and what his school colors were. And wouldn't you know, one week we show up and he's got a jersey on that was Jerry's number and the colors of Jerry's uniform. Next thing you know, he's showing up at church wearing clothes that are remarkably similar to Jerry's. <laughs> Next thing you know, we're studying the word together and Eric comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He asked Jerry if he would offer the prayer of commitment to him at his baptismal ceremony. Jerry takes him to a Christian bookstore and helps him pick out a Bible and he wanted the version and the leather color of Jerry's Bible. And what was fun about watching that whole thing is not only was he growing in wisdom and knowledge, you could see Jerry's fingerprints all over his life. And that was a good thing, because was, Jerry was a solid lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There wasn't anything about Jerry's life that you couldn't imitate profitably. Notice that that should be our desire that we are so deeply in love with Christ that we want his fingerprints to be all over our lives. So that when people see the way we dress, the way we talk, and if Jerry was a good example, I would dare say there is no better example for any of us than that of our Lord and Savior. And it moves this entire process up to an entirely different level. And you know, it was neat to see it work the other way where Jerry actually fell in love with Eric in a positive sense of the term, where he learned to love that young man and genuinely be concerned about his well-being. We too can be assured that Christ loves each and every one of you, is genuinely concerned. And can you imagine the delight that you bring to his heart when you aspire to deepen your walk with him? So notice that that doesn't occur easily or automatically. That's why this is in the form of a prayer, that God will work within us 
to bring about that fruit. Yeah, comment. That whole uh, mentoring that was done as a result of the whole thing is really quite a testimony in and of itself because the adult goes into it not with no expectation of what, what will come of the whole thing, but actually you know, has the opportunity to bask in the fruit of uh, his graciousness and, and unselfishness, uh, you know, extended, uh, you know, in grace to this, to this person. Excellent. And, you know, like you well pointed out, you never know when you start something like that how it's going to turn out. I mean, I'm sure many of you invested your lives in people who weren't grateful, who didn't want to be like you and didn't respond. But I wanted to share you, with you a happy story because those are also out there. And when we talk about good works, there may be a young man, a wo young woman, a, a um, ch child or a grandchild who because of your influence in their life, gets back to the idea of a good work, aspires to be more like Christ because they see the life of Christ being lived out in you. So it's not just doing what God says, but actually being like him, choosing what he would choose. So that Christ is pleased when we want to deepen our relationship with him. Third, God is pleased by great fortitude. Notice verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Notice that he stacks up three different words for strength here. Uh, the word strength, the word power, and the word might. All of them have the idea of inherent ability to overcome resistance. That when there's challenges, when there's difficulties, we have the power that is necessary to overcome those challenges. Notice he adds, however, that that power is according to his glorious might. It's not simply proportioned to our need that God's going to give us just enough to get by but proportion to God's abundant supply. The idea being that we have ample, exceeding, more than we need power and ability specifically for steadfastness and patience. Steadfastness, steady persistence in doing good, Going back to the illustration of, uh, of Eric, even if he hadn't initially been responsive, we don't give up and we don't give in. Uh, someone a, a little while ago mentioned sticking to it, even if there's not an immediate positive response. We don't give up. We don't give in under pressure. Patience means self-restraint when provoked by people who cause agitation. Don't you love that definition? I think many of you immediately can think of people, situations, and contexts that cause agitation. This prayer reminds us that we have ample power to keep our emotion under control, to not blow up, to not undermine, to not uh, hastily retaliate, but rather to continue to, to demonstrate Christ-likeness of character. So that on the one hand, we have power, but specifically power to persevere in the midst of hardship, pressure, 
or agitation. Now, any comments, observations, or insights you have on this particular aspect of the prayer? Yeah. The beautiful thing about this verse, too, is, is yeah, all these things that we have the power to do, but, you know, anybody that has a tremendous intestinal fortitude uh, can do a lot of this. But the fact is, is with joy. With joy. That, that, that's what we are supposed to, that's how we are supposed to demonstrate the uniqueness of our Excellent. Life. Excellent. So, again, it's not just an external holding up under pressure. It's something that flows from the inside that the world is not going to be able to, to figure out. How is it that this person has the ability and the attitude that goes along with it? Yeah. I think the whole thing has to do is, as well as what separates us from anybody else who is, you know, has you know, a certain amount of tenacity to reach a goal is uh, why we're doing it, you know, because we want to do it for the glorification of God. And from a worldly sense, you know, that's like, uh, you know, it's like screaming into the breeze or something like that, you know? Sure. Excellent. Excellent. And again, it all, uh, the motive will sooner or later become apparent. You know, it's not selfish. It's not uh, uh, driven by something I can gain from this kind of behavior. It's focused on the benefit of others. Any other comments, observations? Okay, so we please God by our persistence amid pressure. That's when the genuineness of our faith is revealed, refined. Uh, anyone can reflect a certain level of joy and gratitude in good times, but as the pressure mounts, as opposition begins to build, when we demonstrate that persistence, that's when God is glorified. As a matter of fact, one commentator says that the idea of glorious strength um, in verse 11, or glorious might, means that it's actually God's glory that is being reflected in our life, his character that is being reflected in our life. And then finally, notice in verse 12 and 13, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So notice the final aspect of God's pleasure is by a grateful heart, a thankful heart. It's no accident that we're moving into this as we approach Thanksgiving. I don't know if you've ever given a gift to someone only to have them not demonstrate much appreciation, much value. We should be the kind of people who regularly reflect on what we have in Christ and be deeply and sincerely thankful. Notice that the giving thanks is grounded in, first of all, our standing. The word qualified means that God took people who were unfit in ourselves and without any recourse for becoming fit, becoming acceptable, and by his grace and power caused us to become fit, adequate for heaven at the moment of faith. So the more we reflect on our standing, our qualification, uh, our standing of being justified by faith, 
with no condemnation, declared righteous, the more that should produce a sense of affection and gratitude. To share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Notice, not only has he given us position, he's given us what the text calls an inheritance, which means we have full rights to all the good things, all the blessings that are now ours in Christ as revealed in his promises. So we, have, we are heirs who look forward to an inheritance. In salvation, he rescued us from the domain of darkness. The idea means that he liberated us from a danger from which we could not free ourselves. We were bound, we were helpless. If God had not intervened, we would still be in bondage to Satan and to sin. But God rescued, freeing us from darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He moved us from the dominion of Satan, placed us under the dominion of Christ, and we can look forward to the day when we get to live in a kingdom where Christ, the beloved son, is king of kings and lord of lords. He paid the price to accomplish that, to free us from the bondage and burden of sin a considerable cost, a priceless exchange so that we could be freed from the bondage and burden of sin and he wiped out our debt. He pardoned our iniquity. And I think the reason Paul extends this is to give us some fuel to chew on and to meditate on so that the work of Christ is magnified and our gratitude to Christ is multiplied um, as we consider what he did on our behalf. So notice again, Christ is pleased by the depth of our gratitude. And what better time of year to spend some time reading more deliberately through the prayer that we just reflected on, other passages that talk about Christ's salvation on our behalf, uh, and to offer our thanksgiving and praise to the Lord in our prayers. So notice that Paul gives us four ways in which we can please the Lord, all of which are traceable to this book as the source of guidance, put into practice by the Holy Spirit in response to prayer. Any questions, comments, observations you have before we close for this morning? Any comments, things you'd like to share? Yeah. It just struck me that not only are these applications pleasing to God, but in line with what Michael Zinn was sharing with us earlier, this shows people that we belong to Christ. Exactly. We are different. Exactly. We have patience and endurance with joy if you're not a Christian. Exactly. And that's where it's hard to perceive a person's heart, but when these kind of actions flow from a heart of devotion, it's pretty readily apparent to people who see us. And that's part of the supernatural element. Yeah. I have found that the justification of my sins, of understanding that more so in the last few years, but the idea of forgiving yourself uh, for a transgression is 
more challenging, more challenging to me than understanding Christ's justification. Excellent. And it wasn't until one of my Bible study guys asked me if I felt I was forgiven. I said yes, and then you think you're better than God. And, uh, and why, why haven't you forgiven yourself if God forgave you? So, Excellent. This whole idea of uh, justification, repentance, and everything, you have to forgive yourself as well. Excellent. And that fuels the thankfulness because if God has cast our sins into the deepest sea, we can be deeply thankful that we don't have to carry that burden any longer. That's what it means to be redeemed, freed from the debt, the, the debt wiped off the ledger. Well, hopefully this has been an encouragement to you this morning. Let's close our time in a word of prayer together. Our Father, we do pray after the pattern of the Apostle Paul that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we would walk in a manner worthy of you, pleasing you in every respect, that we would bear fruit in every good work, increase in the knowledge of you, strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, attaining steadfastness and patience, glorious, joyously giving thanks to you, who has qualified us to be in your presence where there is fullness of joy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.